This is Michael Popak, Legal AF. To paraphrase the great movie, The Godfather, it was Donald Trump all along. That according to a low-level vice president that works currently for the Trump Organization, Patrick Bernie, who Donald Trump testified in a deposition about six months ago. He didn't even know quite who that guy was. Well, that guy, who's an assistant vice president and reports to Donald Trump's Former chief financial officer, Alan Weisselberg, was one of the insider witnesses, the only one currently employed so far for Donald Trump, although not for very long, I'm sure, who completely supported the New York Attorney General's fraud case with his testimony. It was bombshell weather in the room changing testimony by Patrick Bernie. Patrick Bernie um, confessed that in a conversation with Alan Weisselberg in 2017 or 2018, in Alan Weisselberg's office, Alan Weisselberg told him, his underling, um, that Donald Trump, the boss, wanted his financial statement increased, inflated. Um, in fact, it was a direct question and answer led skillfully by the attorney general, the assistant attorney general, um, Eric Heron. Eric Heron asked him point blank question, did anyone ever tell you that Donald Trump wanted his net worth on his statement of financial condition to go up each year, to which young Master Bernie responded, yes, Alan Weisselberg, the CFO in Alan Weisselberg's office. And that was the last question after almost a full day of Mr. Bernie on the stand, that's how the Office of Attorney General, you know, it, you know, ended it. You know, that shows a lot of confidence in your case when you do a mic drop at the end of a cross-examination. I've been doing this for 32 years. I do cross-examination. And he, that was one of the cardinal rules of cross-examination on display by the Office of Attorney General. End on a high note and your cross-examination on a high note. Whether you have a jury or a judge, in this case, deciding the issues, don't end on something that's weak, end on something that's strong. And that was about as close to a mic drop as you're going to find from a cross-examination with that Q&A. Not only that, but it was a fulfillment of a promise that was made in the opening statement by Mr. Harron's colleague, um, uh, when he said in the opening statement two weeks ago that Mr. Bernie was going to take the stand and say that Donald Trump told Alan Weisselberg to inflate his assets, which is a fraud, and more, more importantly, is a persistent fraud, as that term is used under New York statutes, giving the New York Attorney General broad powers to shut down fraudulent businesses and their practices and take back for them assets that were unlawfully and illegally obtained. Um, it, you know it was uh, a, a moment that hurt the Trump organization. All they could do was jump up Mr. Keis, Chris Keis, who's handling as the lead attorney for this case, not Alina Haba, but really Chris Keis. Chris Keis stood up and said, objection, hearsay. And the judge, and they had an argument about it, and the judge, because there's no jury present, and the judge was nice to the Trumpers and said, you can submit a brief on that point. I'll hold my ruling in abeyance. I'm going to make it simple for everybody. I'll make the ruling right here.
for Judge Ingoron. It's not hearsay. It is not considered hearsay when a person reports something that's a statement against interest of another person. It's either non-hearsay because it's not being considered for the truth of the matter asserted, although it is, I think, here, or it's not hearsay because it's being it's being offered for the impact it had on the person to whom that was said, or it's a statement against interest that's been now been repeated. So it, it it's a hearsay exception. Under any of those categories, that statement is coming into the record. In any event, the, the bell's already been rung. The judge has heard it. He's not going to instruct himself to forget it. He heard it. So I think at the end of the day, this is interesting. But Bernie's comment to end that Q&A is going to come into evidence that he was directed by Alan Weisselberg on behalf of Donald Trump, that it was Trump all along who wanted to see his assets artificially and fraudulently inflated. Now, I thought the other interesting thing I wanted to bring out on this hot take is the lack of cross-examination by Trump. The Trump side said no questions after Mr. Bernie just severely damaged their case. I want to walk through that for a minute. Now, first of all, Bernie was not treated like a hostile witness. Um, he was treated like a normal witness. If he was a hostile witness, they would have went into cross-examination mode, asking leading questions that, that lead to a yes or no answer, like you see on television. Isn't it a fact that Mr. Weisselberg told you to change the inflate the assets on behalf of Donald Trump? Yes or no, sir? That's cross-examination. They didn't do that with Mr. Bernie. They asked him open-ended questions, what we call direct questions, that um, where the witness testifies. That's because they had already prepped him and they knew he wasn't going to be hostile and he was going to tell the truth. I mean, he looks like a Boy Scout. He's been with the Trump Organization for eight years you know, assistant vice president in New York is like the lowest level vice president in any organization. So this is not a high level guy. He started as a financial analyst. He's so low level that Donald Trump said he didn't even know who he was. The reason the attorney general in her deposition several months ago against Donald Trump the second time started running names by him is because they knew they were going to use them in their trial and they wanted to see what his reaction was to them in advance. Do you know Patrick Bernie? I really don't. Do you... Do you know the assistant controller that works for Alan Weisselberg? I don't. She's testifying, by the way, today um, in court. The assistant, the other one he doesn't know. If someone would have told me that there are science-backed ingredients that could help me feel 15 years younger in a matter of months, I wouldn't have believed it. Then I tried Qualia Senolytic. As we age, Everyone accumulates senescent cells in their body. Senescent cells cause symptoms of aging, such as aches and pains, slow workout recoveries, sluggish mental and physical energy associated with that middle-aged feeling. Also known as zombie cells, they are old and worn out and not serving a useful function for our health anymore, but they are taking up space and nutrients from our healthy cells. Much like pruning the yellowing and dead leaves off a plant, Qualia Senolytic removes those worn-out senescent cells to allow for the rest of them to thrive in the body. Take it just two days a month. The formula is non-GMO, vegan, gluten-free, and the ingredients are meant to complement one another, factoring in the combined effect of all ingredients together. It also has a 100-day money-back guarantee. 
Since taking Qualia Senolytics, I have higher energy levels, feel 15 years younger, and feel more productive and enthusiastic in life, not to mention less aches and pains. Resist aging at the cellular level. Try Qualia Senolytic. Go to neurohacker.com legal for up to $100 off and use code legal at checkout for an additional 15% off. That's neurohacker.com legal for an extra 15% off your purchase. Thanks, Neurohacker, for sponsoring today's video. And so uh, I found it curious, and I'm trying to think of the tactics and strategy here. I'm trying to be kind as a trial lawyer myself about why you wouldn't cross-examine somebody that just damaged you, either because they don't think they can at all in front of the judge, or they're worried that somehow it, it'll backfire on them, creating more bad evidence against them. And I guess they think they have another shot at putting him on when the attorney general's case in chief, her presentation of the evidence and her witnesses is complete. She goes first. She has the burden of proof. They're going to try to argue that maybe the burden hasn't been met, that she has improved intent to defraud, which is the element that she has to make out here in this trial, which is different than the persistent fraud claim that she already won on on summary judgment. That particular standalone fraud count under New York law doesn't require intent. And so that's why she was able to do that on summary judgment. So, I, but they can't be that cocky on the Trump side to think they've got intent in the bag that, that they'll be able to argue that it hasn't been proven and they're not going to cross-examine a witness who just hurt them. And they didn't cross-examine the next witness who also works currently for, for uh, the Trump entities. They didn't do anything about him either. And he took the stand and, and didn't do cross. There we had um, Mark Hawthorne, who's the Trump Hotel chief accountant, Chief, they call him the chief accounting officer, which is sort of strange. It's usually one rung below the chief financial officer, which means he reported to Alan Weisselberg, the disgraced criminal tax cheat felon um, that has also testified against Donald Trump in this case and in other cases. But Mark Hawthorne testified about a $290 million fake number on Donald Trump's balance sheet related to the Trump hotels. That's a big number. You only need to show fraud in $1. So far, if you add it up, I think the attorney general is up to at least half a billion dollars, half a billion dollars of fake numbers on Donald Trump's uh, personal financial statement, which he then uses to borrow more money that he's entitled to, to insure his properties at values that they're not, um, that they're not worth and to get insurance to back all of that up as well. And Mr. Hawthorne said as the $290 million that he had assumed based on bad information, meaning lies, told to him by the Trump organization, his bosses, and Alan Weisselberg, that a $290 million cash number on the balance sheet in the books related to Vornado, a developer that Donald Trump was in a limited partnership with, that all of that cash was accessible to Donald Trump and therefore was an asset of the Trump organization reflected on their books. But then he learned through the New York Attorney General investigation that that $290 million was not accessible by Donald Trump. It was part of a partnership locked away in a partnership to which he didn't have unfettered access. And therefore, he had to admit on the stand that listing $290 million on a, as a plus on the balance sheet as an asset was wrong. And it was based on wrong information 
purposefully, the the argument will go, supplied to him by the Trump organization. In other words, just knock 290, 290 million. You know, what's 290 million between friends? Take it off the balance sheet. And when they asked him as sort of their final concluding question, knowing what you know now, would you list the $290 million on Trump's balance sheet as an asset? He said, probably not. <laughs> I love the I love the concessions. He's still employed there, by the way, at least currently. So what you have is another example of Trump either instructing employees to just change numbers, cook the books, or giving false information to other employees to lead them to a false conclusion and put a number on a balance sheet that is knowingly false, knowingly by Trump false. And he's done that before. He's misled his lawyers and puts them in harm's way when they're negotiating with the federal government or the Department of Justice, like in Mar-a-Lago and Evan Corcoran. And he did it with his own employees. Why are we shocked that he misled his employees, he's been misleading his outside lawyers for a long, long time about what really happened. And so, again, without explanation, no cross-examination of Mr. Hawthorne by Mr. Keis. He just stood up and said, no further questions. No questions. Another oddity. Um, they might think that this will stop them from being able to ask for a directed judgment in their favor, but they're not going to get a directed judgment in their favor from this judge at the close of evidence. See, at the close of the party that has the burden of proof, like the attorney general here in her case in chief, when she's done, we know it because the judge says, are there any other witnesses? No, your honor. Is there any other evidence that needs to be um, put into evidence? No, your honor. Has the attorney general rested? Yes, your honor. That is a important point in a jury in, in a trial, any trial, a bright line procedurally, because that then concludes the record as it relates to the burden that that party has to prove their case. They can't put in any other evidence. They can do some things in cross-examination, but that completes the record on the case in chief for appeal and otherwise, and for the decision. And so at the end, what normally happens is they take a break. Maybe they go to lunch, depending upon the time of day. They come back, and the defense invariably makes a motion that they haven't proved their case, that we've heard all their evidence, we've heard all their witnesses, we've heard everything, everything's in the record, Your Honor, and under New York law, they don't make the elements of showing intent to defraud under these statutes that she's suing under, the conspiracy the um, um, fraud about financial statements, the fraud about business records, the fraud about insurance and the conspiracies around all that. They haven't proven it, Judge. And they'll argue about it. So maybe they're concerned that they'll accidentally um, get evidence into the record on behalf of the attorney general that'll help her case. And so that'll defeat their ability to ask for a directed judgment in their favor without them having to put on their case in defense. But they're not going to get that in this case. So they're left with calling back Mr. Hawthorne, the, the, the Trump Hotel's accountant, and calling back um, uh, Mr. Bernie, if he's still there, and, uh, and other people that work for the company, and doing it in a friendly way in their case should they need it. I guess that's what they're going to do. I got to tell you that I generally cross-examine, especially because, it, especially if you have a jury. If you have a jury, you want to do it right there because the jury's already forming their opinions. 
I guess they're banking on the judge not forming opinions, but this judge has been on the case for a year. He's been violently attacked by Donald Trump. He's been sued by Donald Trump to try to get him off the case. He's he's had a motion for disqualification against him. He's had social media attacks against him and his staff. He's had a issue a, a, a contempt finding against Donald Trump and a $10,000 a day fine. He's had to gag Donald Trump. I think this judge is paying attention. And I don't think you're going to get your directed verdict or um, you should wait to cross-examine. But that's my sort of sense as a trial lawyer and giving some free advice. I do it on hot takes like this one, only on the Midas Touch Network on this YouTube channel. If you like this hot take, give me a thumbs up. It helps with the ratings. And then you'll get to see my next hot take. My entire body of work is under the YouTube channel for Midas Touch under playlist. Look for Michael Popak. On Wednesdays and Saturdays, you know where to find me, the Midas Touch Network on there exclusively on Legal AF, the leading podcast devoted to law and politics and justice only on the Midas Touch Network. I co-anchor it on Wednesdays and Saturdays at 8 p.m. Eastern time and then on audio platforms everywhere you can get it. Until the next hot take of mine, until the next Legal AF. Hey, Midas Mighty, love this report? Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram, at Midas Touch, to keep up with the most important news of the day. What are you waiting for? Follow us now.